mission and shoulder their responsibilities. You're listening to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Morning, this is Peter Lewis. I hope you had a great weekend and welcome to a new week of Money Talk on Radio 3. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Monday the 13th of June. Rising energy and food costs pushed US inflation to a 40-year high in May. The consumer price index rose 8.6% year-on-year last month. That's the fastest pace since December 1981. And when excluding food and energy, the core CPI rose 6% year-on-year. The rise in inflation has put more pressure on incomes, with real wages declining 0.6% from April and, and by 3% on a 12-month basis. The hotter-than-expected inflation report is likely to prompt the Federal Reserve to extend its plan of aggressive interest rate hikes. The Fed had previously signalled it would raise rates by 50 basis points when it meets later this week. But traders are now pricing in a 50% chance of a 75 basis point increase on Thursday morning Hong Kong time. The Fed Fund's futures market is implying half-point increases at the Fed's next four meetings in June, July, September and November, plus a quarter-point increase in December, taking the Fed's benchmark interest rate to 3.2%. By year end. China's consumer costs remained stable last month, and factory gate prices eased further due to a retreat in global commodity prices. China's consumer price index rose by 2.1% in May from a year earlier, unchanged from April. The producer price index rose by 6.4% in May, down from a rise of 8% in April. And that was the lowest reading since March 2021. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Mark Toa, Wing Fung Financial Group, and David Friedland from Interactive Brokers. With a view from mainland China, it's Brock Silvers at Kyan Capital. Money Talk on US stocks and treasury bonds plunged and the dollar soared Friday following the worse-than-expected inflation data. In a broad-based sell-off, every member of the 30-stock Dow ended the day lower as it tumbled 880 points, or 2.7%, to 31,393. The index was lower for the 10th week out of the past 11, losing 1.9% over the five sessions. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq Composite Index fell for the ninth week out of the last 10, with both gauges recording their worst week since January. The broad-based S&P 500 fell 2.9% on Friday and 5.1% for the week, ending at 3,901. The Nasdaq Composite, which is full of interest rate-sensitive growth stocks, fared even worse, slumping 3.5% Friday and 5.6% over the five sessions to 11,340. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index dropped 2.7% on Friday and was down 3.9% for the week. London's FTSE 100 dropped 2.1%, extending its losses for the five days to 2.9%. Asian equities... With the exception of Chinese stocks, were also weaker Friday because of inflation fears, renewed lockdowns in Shanghai and the trucker strike in South Korea, 
which is disrupting production and delivery of the country's main exports, such as vehicles, steel and cement. The Hang Seng Index paired a loss of 1.8% in the morning session to close 63 points, or a third of a percent lower, at 21,806. For the week, the benchmark index climbed 3.4%. The Hang Seng Tech Index that rose 1.6%, taking its weekly gain to 9.7%. And the Shanghai Composite rose 1.4% to 3,285 on Friday, taking its advance for the week to 2.8%. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil was up 2% over the week, and this morning it's trading at $120.22 a barrel. Copper fell 4.5% last week. Gold was up 1% on the week at $1,875 an ounce. Traders moved to price in more aggressive rate hikes from the Federal Reserve this year. The two-year Treasury bond yield which is particularly sensitive to interest rate rises, jumped above 3% on Friday for the first time since 2008. It settled 25 basis points higher at 3.07%. The 10-year yield was up 12 basis points at 3.17%. Meanwhile, the yield on the five-year Treasury note surpassed the yield on the 30-year bond. Such an, inver- such an inversion, as it's known, suggests traders believe that the Fed's aggressive monetary policy tightening could tip the US economy into recession. And the US dollar index, which measures the value of the US currency against a basket of six major currencies, rose to its highest level since mid-May. The strength was helped by a slump in the Japanese yen, which is heading towards a 24-year low. The yen dropped 2.7% last week and is at 134.63 versus the dollar. The euro extended declines on Friday, falling 1% against the dollar to a three-week low of $1.05. Sterling is trading at $1.23 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 65 cents. Chinese yuan is at 6.74 in offshore markets. Bitcoin has had a bad weekend. It's fallen over $2,500, trading right now at $26,800. And it's looking bad for Asian Pacific stock markets at the open. U.S. stock index futures are falling further this morning. S&P 500 futures down almost 1%. NASDAQ futures off 1.5%. In Australia, the SX200 uh, right now is down one and a quarter percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has tumbled 2.3% shortly after the open. The Cosby in South Korea is down over 2%. And futures markets pointing to a decline of 630 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Times 810, lots to get through this morning. Two great guests to help us with that. We have Mark Toe, Managing Director of Asset Management at Wingfung Financial Group. Morning, Mark. Good morning. And also with us is David Friedland, Managing Director for Asia Pacific at Interactive Brokers. Morning to you, David. Good morning as well. Uh, rising energy and food costs, they've pushed US inflation to a 40-year high in May. The Consumer Price Index rose 8.6% year-on-year last month. That's the fastest pace since December 1981. And when excluding food and energy, the core CPI rose 6% year-on-year. Both gauges exceeded economists' forecasts. On a month-on-month basis, headline inflation rose by 1%. 
That's significantly higher than the 0.3% increase in April. The core reading rose by 0.6%, the same as, as in April. Food prices, they were up 10.1% last month compared to a year ago. That's the largest increase since April 1979. Energy soared more than 34% from a year ago, and Friday's report showed price increases spreading throughout the economy, raising the prices of almost everything from airline tickets, used cars and trucks, clothing, healthcare expenses and housing costs. Um, Mark and David, there was really absolutely nothing in this report that you could find as, as being positive, was there, unless you've spotted something that might be some good news there? <laughs> Travel, it's... it's, it's, it's uh... Good to be uh, in Hong Kong, and but not great, um, obviously, for, for the inflation, but great if we can travel. That's the only uh, glimmering hope I see. It's obviously not great for Japan and, and uh, elsewhere where the cost of goods is just increasing. Yeah. The, the most worrying part of the report, I thought, was that inflation is becoming quite broad and, and widespread now. The prices of inflation, uh, the prices of almost everything is going up. This is a nightmare for the Fed, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think they're in a rock and a hard place. The best they can do right now is just continue to give guidance. And, and I think that's what they're doing, that they're going to keep increasing rates over time and hopefully guide this into a soft landing, which we um, doesn't see as, as the things happening right now. It doesn't seem more likely. Yeah. And it's sort of there doesn't seem to be any sign that it's peaked. I think it's getting worse. I think it's accelerating. So that mm. might be when we're getting close to the peak. But last month doesn't um, – I think these numbers were a bit surprising. Then if you talk to um, you know, particularly people at the states, I, I don't see it as much out here. But um, it's just getting increasingly more expensive just to travel and eat and, and just carry on your everyday life. Mm. Mark, are we looking here at a, um, a 1970s-style stagflation here? Uh it is uh it is becoming more and more like uh, a reality than imagination because um y you know the last time uh where people uh, have seen such a high level of inflation uh, especially the inflationary expectations uh is exactly in 1970s and mm. 1980s and uh, most of the people nowadays, especially the younger generation who enjoyed the boom in the last decade, haven't experienced anything like that. They they expected that uh, the Fed can do anything to do the micromanaging, to have all the uh, boom and bust uh, uh, cancel out, uh, to have all these um, uh, the powerful one from 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 the Fed. But uh, the actual reality is not as simple as that because. Um, uh, you, you can see that in the last uh, 10 years since the financial tsunami, uh, the Fed has been trying very hard uh, with the QE, with the low inflation rate, uh, with the low interest rate, all these things to help uh, generate a positive uh, expectation of the asset prices uh, to help uh, gauge in, uh, in, in, in the crisis. And it succeeded in, uh, to a very large extent. But mm. uh, there are consequences. The consequences is that they have the oxygen for, for a very significant boom. Now, uh, they, they, they've, they've been trying very hard to have that kind of inflationary expectation, but uh, they haven't succeeded until after the uh, COVID pandemic, uh, which ignited uh, the, uh, you, you know, the supply chain uh, problem, uh, the uh, extra uh, uh, fiscal and monetary fiscal, uh, 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 the, the stimulus packages. I think 
what we happen uh, to have now is that uh, the, the Fed uh, couldn't uh, do much but to uh, accelerate on the pace of inflation uh, in, in interest rate hike uh, to curb the inflation. I, I think it is it is what was most worrisome uh, because most of the people they haven't they haven't experienced that kind of thing uh, for quite some time. And I wonder where we might get to because actually, really CPI, the Consumer Price Index. It's been changed over the years, hasn't it, since the stagflation of the late 1970s to the early 1980s. Um, the, the calculation has changed quite a lot to try and bring inflation uh, lower. But if you actually uh, calculated inflation today using the same methods in the 1980s, CPI is really closer to 17%, according to uh, come numbers from shadow stats. So that's, uh, that's quite worrying as well, isn't it? Really, people are feeling this in their pockets, even if the, the numbers don't reflect just how severe it is. Yes, exactly. Uh, that's what uh, the economists, especially if you uh, compare the data uh, from the time uh, that the uh, that the great uh, Paul Volcker had uh, tried very hard to curb the inflation. If we have the apple and two apple comparison, we can see that uh, right now the inflationary expectation uh, is may- maybe maybe even higher. And uh, what is what is most important is that uh, for the past decade we have. Uh, not in the commodity prices, not in food and energy prices, but in asset prices, reflecting the abundance of money supply. Uh, basically, it, it, it uh, uh, resumed all, all the uh, assumed all the uh, responsibility uh, for for the last uh, decade. But now, with the expectations uh, turned from negative to positive, um, I think the Fed uh, can can't do much but to but to tighten uh, the, the the monetary uh, policy but you know uh, to a very large extent uh, uh, the supply chain problem cannot be solved by uh, monetary mm. uh, policy uh, the geopolitical crisis cannot be solved by uh, monetary policy a lot of things a lot of factors that contributed to to the uh, the phenomenon right now uh, cannot be solved by monetary policy that that is the problem David, the, the market's already predicting that interest rates are going to get above 3% um, by the end of this year, 3.2%, the Fed Fund futures markets uh, is say. In the, in the time since the global financial crisis, the US national debt has, uh, has tripled, similarly for a lot of other countries as well. If we start seeing interest rates above 3%, what's that going to do for all these countries that have massive amounts of debt and companies as well? <laughs> Good question. I... I, I it's clearly going to slow down the world economy, and it could push us towards recession over time. And I think that's being priced into the longer-term yields. Um, Short-term, I, I think it's going to actually serve a little bit well to, to suck some of the excess cash out of the mark, out of the out of the global economy, and slow things down a little bit. The, the only way, though, the Fed can succeed with this type of inflation, which is a lot of it, is supply chain disruptions, the war in Ukraine. Uh, they can't print more food and oil. They may be able to print more money, but not food and oil. The only way they can solve this is by reducing demand, which means increasing unemployment, which is going to tip the U.S. into recession. It, it seems almost unavoidable now, doesn't it, that uh, the U.S. is going to go into a recession? I, I think so. That's if people want to work. Um, it seems that um, yeah, there is there's a massive um, demand for work, Supply you know, worker supply right now globally, 
Mm. Um, so, but I don't know if it's all in the right uh, spots in the right position. The people have the right um, expertise out there to fill the vacancies, but it's inevitable, I believe. Mark, we also had data from China, inflation data from China on Friday, which was much more stable than what we saw in the US. And factory gate prices, in fact, eased. The consumer price index on the mainland rose by 2.1%. That was unchanged from April. The producer price index, which reflects the prices that factories charge wholesalers for products, that rose by 6.4% in May, down from 8% in April, and it was the lowest reading since March 2021. Can you explain to me how is it that two enormous economies, enormous countries, which basically share the same global resources, they look for the same sources of food and energy, can have such vastly different inflation rates? Uh, sometimes it is a little bit hard to uh, have a consistent expectation uh, to have all the methodologies of uh, statistics uh, across countries to, to be explained in, in, in simple terms. But uh, we all know that uh, the, the, the mainland Chinese authorities, uh, whether in fiscal or in monetary side, uh, they've been trying very hard in the uh, last two or three years uh, to get ahead of the curve, uh, so to speak, and to um, uh, try to uh, uh, slow down a bit, uh, in spite uh, in spite of uh, uh, the the uh, uh, disappointment or the dissatisfaction from from the people, and right now I think they have more room for them to uh, uh, to release some kind of liquidity or to have that kind of uh, fiscal policies targeting a specific industry. Although I, I'm not, I'm not uh, quite uh, confident that these are all uh, very efficient in 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 terms of the in terms of the resources deployed, but uh, uh, overall speaking, I think uh, they are more well more well prepared uh, for for a crisis or or for the inflationary expectations uh, than the counterparts in in the, glo uh, mm. the among the other global payers. But they're, they're also running into problems, aren't they, with debts? Local authorities just can't raise any more financing. Their traditional ways of doing that, which is really through property sales, has, has been cut off to them. So they've got a debt problem as well, haven't they? Yes, of course. I I, I think uh, they they have uh, they have have a lot of a uh, uh, you, you know uh, uh, a lot of problems, uh, so to speak, uh, because um, uh, they they have different sectors. Yeah. Uh, they have to coordinate somehow, and uh, they have to make sure that uh, uh, different players uh, get get a get a fair share of uh, what they deserve. Uh, uh, but it is not it is not easy because uh, usually if you leave it to the market uh, for for the market mechanism to 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 play the game, it is uh, much more efficient uh, rather than from the top down uh, authorities. Uh, uh, approach, but uh, anyway, it, it has been uh, it, it has been uh, playing uh, that way, and I I, th I can foresee it, it will be playing uh, like this uh, for for in in the possible future. Sure. So we have to expect that uh, as long as they do not change the rules of the game, uh, I, I think uh, they they have a they have a fair chance uh, to to ride on a, a much more stable uh, curve uh, than than the counterparts in in the world. Should should the West look a bit more at what they're doing? Maybe I mean they're pretty good at price controls, aren't they? In the mainland, it's sort of something that the Western economies don't like doing. They see it as anti uh, sort of you know anti free markets and uh, and having negative consequences. But should the West look more at that? Maybe there's what's needed now. 
Uh, no, <laughs> I, no? I'm, I'm afraid that uh, the same the same thing uh, may not be uh, directly copied from from the from that kind of experience because. Uh, as long as you're working with uh, the free market system, uh, it is uh, much more uh, uh, efficient or, and, and much wiser for you to keep doing it. And mm-hmm. I think uh, for the Western counterparts, uh, uh, actually they have a lot of uh, uh, inefficiencies in, in the system, like the taxation, uh, like, the, like the, uh, the, the welfare system, all these things. So it has already complicated the matter to, to, to a large extent. Right now, what they, they, they have to do, I think, is to uh, stick to the principle, especially the, uh, the uh, I, I mean, the self-sufficiency uh, or the self-restraint of the, uh, the, the money supply. Uh, don't overdo it, uh, but as long as you are playing the game, they have to uh, uh, follow the rules. They, right now, they, they, they have one way to go is to, inter- uh, to increase right. in, in inflation, uh, to increase the in interest rate. David, put this all together for us for what it means for the markets. We've seen stocks and Treasury bonds plunge on Friday. Stock index futures are down another one and a half percent now uh, this morning. U.S. stock index futures. The dollar uh, is soaring. The yen is slumping. Um, what does this all mean for for the global markets? Well, if you're a trader, it's opportunity. Um, you can if you can play these markets quite um, astutely and make some good money of trading. But for the long-term investor, which is which is the majority of people out there, it, it's you. You can be more selective on what you're what you're looking at. There are actually some great companies out there. You do expect earnings to drop in many sectors across the board, but some of these stocks are way, way down. Um, a couple of financial companies are, are trading below book value with good uh, prospects long term. So just be selective and we'll get out of this. Long, you know, I, I like to say when the, when the markets rise 2, 3, 4% at a time, everyone seems to be really happy. If they go down 1, 2%, everyone starts panicking. So you just have to calm down Think long term and history will eventually write itself. Okay. Well, hopefully there's some good opportunities around there. Thank you very much. That's David Friedland, Managing Director for Asia Pacific and Interactive Brokers. Mark Toe, Managing Director of Asset Management at Wing Fung Financial. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. It's 8.25. On the phone is Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Kion Capital. Morning, Brock. Hey, good morning. And um, we've been going through the inflation data that we had on Friday for both the US and China, so I won't repeat all the numbers again. But I'll, I'll ask you the question that I asked a couple of guests earlier. How is it that two big economies that share, sit on the same planet, share the same world's resources, they get a lot of their sources of energy and food from the same places, can have such vastly different inflation numbers? You know, look, inflation is still generally currency-specific. It can bleed over in interconnected economies, but but it's really a currency phenomenon. Now, in the U.S., we've mismanaged that currency for decades. It's been figuratively criminal. Um, And I think Biden's last bit of spending and, and the war on energy production, that was just the last straw. And now the U.S. faces sustained inflation and can't really raise rates easily without the risk of detonating a death bomb. So I think that's a terminal problem for the Biden administration. Now, in China, we have a slightly different situation. Um, I would say China's like, or in China, inflation is likely higher than advertised, but it also isn't a top issue. China, as, a, as an exporter, I think gets a bit of insulation. 
But rather than deal with a secondary issue like inflation, Beijing has real um, significantly more pressing concerns like the collapse of the real estate sector and a deeply slowing economy and the unspoken but greatly feared result if those go unmet, mass unemployment. So I think that's where Beijing is focused. Um, and what I would say is inflation has is, is divergent between these two countries, and it, it's actually a possible regime change issue, but only really in the U.S., not in China. Mm. But but China does have an income problem, doesn't it? Because a lot of people's main source of income, which is basically through their jobs, uh, has been declining, in some cases drying up altogether uh, because of these uh, lockdowns and there's millions of people now who are basically clinging to their savings as their wages shrink or disappear that that seems to be a bigger problem than inflation for them that, that's right look china has very significant economic problems right now um it, it's just that inflate inflation and particularly dollar inflation is maybe not one of them Mm. And we're now hearing talk of more lockdowns in Beijing and Shanghai. Presumably the economic problems for China, even if it's not reflected in inflation, is only going to get worse. Yeah, that's right. Look, our, our ability to, uh, to inflict self-harm seems unlimited at this point. Um, it does seem like China has had a bit of a, a setback and they are dedicated as ever to zero covid um, which, from a purely economic standpoint, uh, seems nutty. So what what is this going to mean for, for businesses, for example? Because I saw a survey from Peking University which said that 40% of small private businesses, which, as we know, are, are the, the businesses that employ the most number of people in the country, they don't have enough spare cash to last another month. If these lockdowns increase, it's going to put enormous pressure on unemployment, isn't it? It, it, look, it's it's potentially economically devastating. I don't know how China gets away with it, but but they're committed to doing this, um, you know, regardless of the cost. So they will uh, they're going to have this great experiment, and they're going to find out what the results are. But mm. economically, it certainly is not promising. So in the U.S., you was talking about, uh, you know, it's really a policy um, issue. It's one of the problems here that since the global financial crisis, Western economies have just turned on the printing presses. They've just printed trillions of dollars of cash, which they've thrown at people, given this money away basically for free and also all the fiscal stimulus as well, the handouts that they paid for people. Are we now starting to learn that actually this isn't for free? There is a cost, and inflation is, is the cost of that. You know, if we could print our way to greater wealth, we would have discovered that trick long ago, and everyone could be a, could be a millionaire. Um, it, 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 economics just doesn't work that way. And, and as you say, now we're paying the price, and it just so happens that I think the Biden administration is the one stuck without a chair when the music finally stops. Mm, so they're going to be hit worse. Is that going to be reflected in the markets? We're seeing big falls now in U.S. stocks, uh, in Treasury bonds. The dollar is soaring. Uh, is this just going to get worse? Uh, I, I think it has the potential for that. Now, look, in, in our neck of the woods, you know, dollar inflation may help China in a geopolitical great aim sense, but it's terrible economic news. And now that we're at a 40-year high with almost certainly significantly higher rates to come, the things we should keep in mind, you know, the Fed basically sets Hong Kong rates. Hong Kong markets have already been tenuous, and now we see rates possibly rising by hundreds of basis points. Um, 
In this case, I think it could make both Beijing and Washington start to question whether the peg itself continues to serve their respective interests. Virulent U.S. inflation is just bad news at a bad time for Hong Kong. Now, in China, even though inflation isn't a major worry, the economy is. And the thing to keep in mind is that Beijing is trying hard to kind of shore up battered investor confidence, and I'm not sure this is really going to work. So let, let, hear, let me just clarify. Yeah. Are you saying that the Hong Kong dollar peg may not survive this turmoil? Well, I don't know that – I'm not saying it won't survive, but I'm saying this could start to raise doubts from mm-hmm. either or both sides as to whether or not that peg really – really serves our interests. You know, um, will can, can authorities in Beijing sit back and be happy that foreign actors are essentially raising Hong Kong interest rates uh, so significantly at a very uh, difficult and possibly damaging time? Okay. That, that wouldn't thrill anyone. Well, we need to talk more with you about that going forward, I think. We'll, we'll definitely save that for next time. Thanks very much, yeah. Brock. That's Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Cayenne Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a look at Asia-Pacific markets, which are falling rapidly this morning. The SX200 uh, in Australia uh, is down about one and a quarter percent right now. The Nikkei 225 uh, in Japan uh, is off about... Two and a half percent. The Cosby in South Korea also down over two percent. Futures markets pointing for declines of 650 points for the Hang Seng at the open. I'll be back tomorrow morning at eight o'clock to bring you all the latest business and market updates. Stay tuned for COVID updates after the news with Jim Gould and James Ockenden. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, hot with sunny periods, maximum temperatures about 32 degrees. Weather will be unsettled in the next few days with showers and thunderstorms. 29 degrees right now, 81% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.33, here's Ben Che with the Half Hour News. Authorities in Beijing will begin testing its most heavily populated district for COVID today, the first day of a three-day exercise. It follows a wave of testing in Shanghai over the weekend. Joanne Wong reports. Officials in Beijing are hoping to stamp out what they've described as a ferocious outbreak in the district of Chaoyang. The cluster, which surfaced last week and involves at least 166 confirmed cases, is linked to a bar. On Sunday, the capital reported 65 new locally transmitted cases, 34 of which were symptomatic. Over the weekend, about 25 million people in Shanghai underwent another round of mass testing, and residents now have to take at least one PCR test a week until the end of July. The financial hub on Sunday recorded 10 new cases with symptoms and 19 without. A business leader says if Hong Kong really does have a high degree of autonomy, then it needs to shift away from Beijing's COVID strategy and allow quarantine-free travel to resume. The vice chairman of the International Chamber of Commerce, George Cotherley, was commenting after the chief executive, Carrie Lam, conceded that strict border measures she imposed had undermined Hong Kong's status as an international hub. Cotherley told RTHK that the longer it took for Hong Kong to open up to the world, the bigger the the adverse impact would be on businesses. It's uh, good to hear her saying we have a high degree of autonomy over this because I think that's something that international business wonders. Are we subject to whatever Beijing says we must do about keeping our borders open or closed? So we need to take advantage of that if we really have that freedom. And I think most international businesses would say open your borders as soon as possible, adopt live with COVID like virtually the whole of the rest of the world. 
Center for Health Protection says Hong Kong recorded 814 new coronavirus cases yesterday. 364 were identified through lab testing, while the rest were from rapid tests that had been confirmed by the authorities. You're listening to the news on.